Alrighty, bro. Um, now I'm going to say hi to the camera and uh, we'll get started. So, Sounds good. Hi, everyone. My name is David Sneed. I'm a missionary in Lviv, Ukraine, and this is my friend Nick. Hi. How are you doing, Nick? Hey, I'm doing great. Good to be here. It's good to hear. Um, Nick is a pastor in Longmont, Colorado, um, the pastor of a Calvary Chapel there called Whitefields Community Church. Uh, he's a great Bible teacher, and uh, he's also he used to be a missionary in Hungary, so and he's a bit of a mentor for me, so both in exegetical preaching and in missions. So, um, how can people connect with you online if they want to? Yeah, I'm basically everywhere. Uh, I'd say the best place to connect with me would be on my uh, blog, my website. It's nickkady.org. Um, I think that's probably the best place to start, and uh, you can also, you know, follow me on. I'm on Twitter at Nick Katie. I'm on Instagram at Katie Nick. The Nick Katie was taken, so I did that. And then, of course, uh, there's Facebook, and you can keep up with our church's podcast and our church's YouTube. Would probably be those would probably be the best ways. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, your ministry, your family, what you do? Yeah. So um, let's see. I have a wife and four kids. One of them is adopted. So we have three biological kids and one um, adopted son. We adopted him when we lived in Hungary. So, um, and brief, briefly, I was born in California, uh, grew up in Colorado. I got saved when I was 16, but I had already uh, grown up in the Lutheran church. Um, one interesting thing, David, that I don't know if you even know this, is that my um, maternal grandparents are from uh, Zhitomir, Ukraine. Oh, I forgot. And I think so, you told me about that, but I forgot about that. That's crazy, man. That's a connection. Yeah. So um, so anyway, I, I grew up Lutheran. I, I really came to know the Lord, though, when I was um, when I was 16. I was in high school through a friend of mine, through a, a Russian friend, actually, from Sochi, um, who went to school. We had a lot of Russians in Denver, and um, because of my slight connection to Ukraine, I, uh, I kind of was friends with a lot of them. So this, cool. this girl ended up leading me to the Lord when I was 16. And then uh, I got involved with the church. I didn't know anything about Calvary Chapel. This church was not even called Calvary Chapel. It's called um, Crossroads Church of Denver. And uh, for me, it was just a, a church where there were normal people who studied the Bible and followed Jesus, which is what I wanted. And so I got really, really involved right away. That's what we um, all want to be. Probably. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I got uh, I got probably more involved than like I I don't think they knew that I was just a new Christian. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I think they thought that I'd been there for a long time. It's a big church. It was easy to blend in. So um, I got really involved and ended up getting handed a ministry um, because some other people dropped out. I was like 17 and I uh, was doing this outreach ministry. Because of that, I got involved in the uh, leadership meetings and stuff with the church. And then when I graduated high school, I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. And um, I went uh, on a mission trip with one of these youth mission organizations. And then through that, um, I had to get a pastor's signature. So in talking to my pastor, actually the assistant pastor at our church, uh, a guy named Pete Nelson, who was a mentor for me, um, Pete said, hey, if you're interested in missions, you got to come over with me to Hungary. There was a conference that year in Chilabertz, which is just outside of Budapest. It's an old kind of communist pioneer camp. And uh, they used to have the Calvary Chapel conferences there for Hungary 
And in this case, uh, it was also for Hungary and Ukraine. Can you talk a little bit about what a pioneer camp is? Because, you know, I know what that is, but maybe a few of our viewers wouldn't know what that is. Yeah, so for the communist world, this was like communist Boy Scouts. So it's like Boy Scouts without any element of God and and definitely (laughs) political. And uh, but I will say they they did a pretty good job in the whole communist world of um, of doing fun things for kids, especially camps. So I assume it's the same in Ukraine where it is in Hungary, where they have this kind of culture now because of that of summer camps, and uh, they love to send their kids off to summer camps. And uh, and we took advantage of that so much as missionaries. Uh, one of our biggest outreaches we ever did uh, through our church in Hungary was a summer camp. And I mean, we would have to turn kids away every year because there was so much. And we used to pioneer camp outside of Eger, where we where we later moved. So awesome. uh, yeah, just, you know, Boy Scouts for, for uh, communists. So. so you went to this conference, right? That was at this pioneer camp. And then, yeah. and then what happened? Well, I met some of the uh, Ukrainian missionaries and, uh, and I really loved what God was doing, but I also met some of the Hungarian missionaries because of course we were in Hungary and um, I was just praying, you know, I didn't have any plans for my life. I, I wanted to, at the time I was really into snowboarding. I'm still really into snowboarding. Um, and, and my, I had kind of some open doors to do uh, work with some snowboard companies. I had already started doing it, like um, working with some, some different companies on the snow up in uh, different places in Colorado. And so I, I wanted to do that. So that was my plan, move back and just continue doing that. And, uh, and then at the same time, I started getting these invitations from people I had met at this conference to come out. So I said, okay, I'll come out for like eight months. That was my plan. I'll come out for eight months, January to August. And I'll move back to Colorado and do something with my life, right? Like uh, I was going to go to Colorado Mountain College in Breckenridge. That was my plan. So, um, but then, you know, there in Hungary, I just fell in love with what they were doing, with what Calvary Chapel was doing, with church planting, with evangelism, all centered around the local church. I felt like this is the model that I see in the book of Acts. This is something that I could see myself at least being involved in. I didn't, I didn't initially intend to become a pastor. I just wanted to help out wherever there was a need. Oops. And um, looks like your video cut that. off. I, oh, okay. I got a phone call. I'm sorry. So I, I had <laughs> no, no problem. problem. So um, I, I loved what they were doing. I just wanted to be involved in any way I could. And Let's see. Um, I, I just thought, okay, well, I'll just stay. So we started a youth camp that summer. I was involved in that. We started um, an English language Bible study. I was involved in ministry to refugees. Uh, that's how I met my wife. She was already there as a missionary. She's from California, but she's Hungarian. And, wow, um, dude. Yeah, she had come out as a missionary, but but really basically moving there because she was a Hungarian citizen and um, just moved to this city with no plan to ever leave. And um, so anyway, we worked with refugees together and um, we worked with students together and I worked with the youth group on the side. And then at the end of my time, as it was approaching, I thought, what, what am I going back to in the U.S.? You know, like in the U.S., there's churches everywhere and they don't care, right, that I'm there. They've got plenty of people here in Hungary. It was like it was like they, they needed workers and the harvest was plentiful. It was like the verse, right? Like you're, you're living it out. And I was like, 
why in the world would I go back? So I stayed for, so eight months became 10 years. We planted two churches. We, we, after my wife and I got married, we moved up to Northern Hungary and kind of pioneered Calvary Chapel stuff in that area, mm-hmm. um, in a county in, uh, called uh, Hevesh County, which is Northern Hungary, Northeastern Hungary. And um, there were no Calvary Chapels in this area. There's some county seats and some bigger cities at least by Hungarian standards. And um, we planted two churches there. Uh, they're very different churches. One was in a kind of like, you know, one of the, one of the more prestigious cities in Hungary. Uh, it's a university town and one of the wealthier cities. It's, it's basically like the most visited tourist site outside of, of, of Budapest. So, okay. you know, it, it, it's a beautiful place. So it was a great place to be. The other church we planted was in a, smaller town outside of there which was the complete total opposite i mean like it was a dump it's (laughs) and uh we weren't working with educated people we were working with uh gypsies many of whom you know had never finished even eighth grade i mean um some of them didn't know how to read i mean it was it was two different worlds two different Mm -hmm. cultures and so we plant i pastored these two churches at at the same time for a couple years planted the first one uh in agar and then a few years later, we planted the second one. I pastored them both at the same time. And our vision was to, uh, we had a few things that I hoped to achieve. And I, I didn't actually think that we would achieve all of them. But then one day I kind of turned around. I'm like, wait a second. We achieved everything that we intended to achieve when we came here. And so we began praying about, I mean, and the goal had always been to raise up a local person, hand the church over to them. So we were doing that and praying about where to go next. And um, as a fluent Hungarian speaker, and of course my wife too, uh, we were assuming that we would stay in Europe. You know, there's a Hungarian population outside the borders of Hungary because of some political treaties in the past and stuff like that. And we, we considered moving to one of those areas, but at the same time, um, God opened up the store in Colorado and um, we felt like this is from the Lord. And one of our hopes and desires was, would, was that we would be able to do more for international missions uh, from Colorado hmm. uh, than we could even do being in, on the ground in Hungary or yeah, in that makes any sense. other country. Yeah. Now, I don't know if we just told ourselves that to make ourselves feel better, but I think in some ways it has, it has happened. So. I can tell, tell you, you know, like y'all have been a blessing to Ukraine already. So uh you know you guys coming over and bringing mike back over put it that way you know and and you know with the conferences and everything so you know i think god's still still using you guys as a church not just you in particular but as a church uh in many ways over here so praise the lord yeah so um excuse me uh how uh how has this you know new epidemic this new situation globally how has that affected you guys over in colorado oh yeah i mean it's affected us basically in every way you know uh, the biggest thing is that we were in the process of moving our church in fact I'm, I'm in our new church building right now um so we were we were this is something we've been working on for years and in january uh we had this opportunity turn up where another church had built out a facility and they were abandoning it or leaving it. And so 
we thought, um, you know, we looked into it. It was a big stretch for us financially to do it. It was uh, hard, but we figured, hey, if we move into this building, we're probably going to grow and we'll be able to afford it. So anyway, we did it. We kind of took this big step of faith, really mobilized the church and everything. And then um, right when I came back, what would have been our first service is when everything got shut down. So we have this building, we have the bills to pay, and we cannot use it for physical gatherings. Now, we are able to use it in some other ways, and that has been a blessing. But yeah, this is the biggest thing that's affecting us is that we we had this plan, uh, really wanted to kick this off big, and it has not been able to happen yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if there are other ministries more. or people that have taken that took a step of faith right before this all happened. And yeah. could you speak into those people's lives uh, from this situation? Like, how has God been ministering to you guys through that? Yeah. So I think the the only thing is this that it, it's the same situation. You took a step of faith. You trusted God, and He knew this was going to happen, right? And you didn't. And and one of the things I, I taught our church through, uh, I did a series on faith. And one of the, the key thoughts from the series on faith was this, that uh, there's this passage in Numbers 14 and then another passage in Joshua 14, right? And they're, they're correlated because they're both about entering the promised land and which requires faith because there's this incredible task which they're not cut out for. So um, Joshua says this incredible thing in, in Numbers 14, verse 9, where he says, uh, we must obey the Lord, and he agrees with the people, with the other spies, that this is way beyond it, their capacity. But he says, we need to do this. And then he says, for they are bread to us. Now, that's yeah. an interesting thing to say. But I think his point here is that this difficulty, this trial, it will actually be nourishing for them. It will be something which is good for them. Mm-hmm. And how, how is that so? Well, I would say that what happens through our trials is that uh, if we respond in faith, then we turn to the Lord, then these things will actually nourish our faith. They're, they're actually healthy for us. Mm-hmm. You know, David, uh, the King, King David, uh, there's that terrible passage that you read in, uh, in 2 Samuel where it says that during the times when kings go out to war, David stayed at home. Mm-hmm. And that's when he ends up going down this path that ends up messing up his life, his children's lives, so many things. And uh, the safest place for David to be would have been in the battle. So I would just encourage you in this, that um, God knew this was going to happen and walk with him through it. The other thing I would say, kind of final thought on this would be to say this. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 6 that the... um, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who seek him, they, they must believe that he exists and that mm-hmm. he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Mm-hmm. But if you look into that, what is the reward? If you read those following verses, what is the reward? The reward of Abraham's faith was not uh, a son. It, I mean, not the primary reward. Mm-hmm. It, the goal of Noah or the reward of Noah's faith was not primarily that he got saved from the flood. Mm-hmm. If you keep going into it, it says that the the reward of their faith was the righteousness that comes by faith. If you go back to Genesis 15, it says mm-hmm. that the reward of Abraham's faith was God. He says, mm-hmm. "Your I am your shield. I am your reward. So look, the, the 
you took a step of faith. We took a step of faith. Let's say this. We took a step of faith. If this all falls apart, the wheels fall off. What do we get in return? Well, easy. We get more of God. Amen. Uh, he doesn't promise us success. What mm -hmm. he promises us is that if we walk with him by faith, um, you know, we get a closer relationship with him and mm -hmm. that's worth it. Amen. That, uh, I actually listened to that sermon series. Um, and, uh, yeah, God, God spoke to me through that. So I appreciate it. I, wonder, yeah. I was wondering as I was listening, like, was this, uh, was this planned in response to, uh, the situation with the building was this planned in response to the situation in general, or did that just kind of line up with what was already happening? Does that make sense? No, it was it was uh, planned for the building move, mm -hmm. and in the very meantime, timely. this yeah, this COVID nineteen thing happened, and I said, well, it still applies, so we'll just keep going with it, um, and the faith thing still applies as well, so we'll just go with that. So, um, and and the reason I did it was because. I have a friend here in Colorado named Ed Taylor. He's, um, he owns a radio station and he's got a great church, but he's also one of the most generous and uh, helpful people I've ever met. And he, I was talking to him through this building thing and he was telling me, you know, that he was really encouraging us to do it, but he also said, Hey, here's how you should roll it out. You should do a series on faith. So I took his advice. That's how we, I got the idea. But yeah, it ended up kind of, aligning with a lot of different things at the same time very cool very cool uh one of the things that uh, uh was suggested uh in the comments under my last podcast uh was to ask the next guest a question they didn't know it was you um how do we as a church need to be ready for the end of the quarantine so the idea is this this uh, situation is literally changing how people perceive one another with, you know, if you're wearing a mask, you can't see micro expressions. You can't see the movements of, of your, the, the other person's mouth. You know, you can't hear their voice as well. Um, and we're, we're staying at least two meters away from one another or six feet in America, you know? And uh, uh, so there's, there's this distance physical. And so there's this distance emotionally, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So once, all of this blows over. Uh, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Yeah. How can we as missionaries, disciples of the Lord, and churches in general, how can we be prepared for whatever's going to happen then? Yeah, I'd say on the one hand, be flexible. But on the other hand, try to, uh, try to anticipate things. I think that one of the best things we can be doing is let's, let's try to anticipate how things are going to be different. Um, because you might be wrong, but at least you, you planned, right? At least yeah. you thought ahead and, you know, it's easier to steer a moving ship. So I, um, I know with our church, we, we're, we have no idea what, what it's going to look like when we go back. Um, but we do know that it's probably not going to just be uh, a light switch that we turn on and everything goes back to normal. Yeah. I, I don't think that, I think it's going to be gradual. And I think that the effects of this are going to be longer term. Like you're saying, the way that people relate to each other is going to change. I think that as church leaders, we should respect that and we should just talk our people through it, you know, tell them to honor each other's uh, wishes. I mean, but then on the other hand, one, one of the things we're dealing with is that it's likely that when we come back, we're going to have to do multiple services um, 
because there will be limitations on how many people can be in spaces at one time. Mm. Now, um, I think that's something that church leaders need to think through is that, you know, you may not be able to have as many people as you can in your building. So maybe doing multiple services proactively is going to be um, smart. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that um, I think that we want to encourage um, community in whatever form. So one of the things that I've noticed um, is that as we're preparing to go back to normal, so whatever that is, right, uh, is that we, we've had our community groups that meet in homes, but we've had some of the hosts say, I don't know if I'm ready to have people in my home. So we're, we're really just encouraging people um, to connect through Zoom, through other, other ways, uh, even after the restrictions are lifted. So trying to provide ways. So what that might look like for us is some of our community groups, which is kind of our main vehicle for, um, for discipleship outside of Sundays. Uh, some of these groups are going to meet physically and some of these groups are going to meet digitally and they're going to continue meeting digitally, even though they don't have to, we're going to provide opportunities for that. It's very interesting to like, I didn't even think about that, that, that uh, some community groups would continue online potentially but at at the same time uh our you know the one home fellowship that we have in our church because our church is very small um has been doing better online than it did you know uh six months ago uh offline you know so if if the format works and it's blessing people why not you know yeah i think another thing that i think i see happening is that Whenever you go through something like this, it changes the way that you communicate and things like that. I've been seeing a lot of pastors and leaders communicating more with their churches, right, through uh, weekly updates and things like that. Um, I would encourage church leaders to think that through. What are things that are changing now that are actually good that you want to not lose once we're past this? I know for me, one of them is going to be... more communication you know i don't want to stop communicating in fact now so i've been communicating more than ever with our church just kind of updates where we're at as a church what to expect and uh and now i'm wondering why in the world did i not do this before um so i think in some ways you know this stretching is really good for us and we would we would do well to not lose it once Mm. this moment is over Good stuff, man. I'm writing it down. So, okay. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, okay. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, Calvary Global Network and like your involvement in that as kind of an introduction to my next question? Sure. Yeah. So, Calvary Global Network, um, I've been connected with Pastor Brian Broderson for a while. And, you know, part of the reason is because, like I said, when I got saved and started going to this church in Colorado, I didn't know what Calvary Chapel was. In fact, I, did, I went there for like two years before I actually found out that, oh, this is part of like a, a bunch of churches. And like, I didn't know anything about that. And so then I really figured that out when I moved to Hungary. I was like, oh, okay, so this is like a denomination, but but don't tell anybody, right? Like, um, we're, um, we are the weirdest denomination that we don't call ourselves a denomination. Yeah. That's, right. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. truly an association of churches, I get it. They're independent churches, yeah, but yeah. they're associated. Makes sense. But, uh, so 
you know, but Brian Broderson was our guy over in Europe. He would come over, he would speak into our movement and our ministry. And he, he was like our pastor, you know, even when we were missionaries. And so That's Brian cool. did our, yeah, he did our wedding for Rosemary and I, Dude. Um, he, uh, you know, when our daughter was, he dedicated our daughter to the Lord. So, um, and you know, I always, I always loved this about Brian that, uh, I loved his heart for missions. I loved his heart for the global church. Like he had vision beyond our movement, but he also understood our movement and its place in the global church. And so, um, Brian started inviting me a few years ago to some of these um, leadership things and prayer meetings they were doing. And so uh, the, the latest version of this has been this, that Calvary Global Network um, has kind of started to solidify in, with a leadership. And so they have an executive leader team, and then they have what are called local connectors and a collaborative leadership team. So I'm on the collaborative leadership team. I'm in two groups, so they've kind of divided us into task groups. So I'm on a group um, that's about um, finance and funding, and I'm on a group that's about network connections, which basically means if you are a church that wants to affiliate with Calvary Chapel or Calvary Global Network, then we are creating a process for that and kind of overseeing the process for doing that. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So what is uh, CGN doing right now in response to the crisis for, for churches, you know? Or... Yeah. So what, what CGN has been doing, they've been uh, having some of their leaders send out to their, their pastors list. They've been having them send out kind of just words of encouragement, but beyond that, they're also doing a 24 hour prayer initiative. That's now in its third week. Originally it was only supposed to be for one week, um, but it's just been so incredibly fruitful and encouraging the people even in the time that i've been doing it i've seen um we've had people pray to receive the lord there during the feed we've had uh, Dude, yeah, you know prayers awesome. answered yeah it's really cool we were praying for people to be saved and this one lady writes in and says i want to be saved so we prayed for her right there which was great and um so we've been doing that so on calvary chapel's facebook page we've just been every day um got different people taking an hour at a time to lead through prayer. And it's been really good and really encouraging. And what I think it, it also communicates is that we're here, we're present and we have an opportunity for people to connect and for people to pray. Um, I think that's good. I think at these times, one of the best things you can do is be present, be available, show that you are there. And um, the last thing you want to do is just, is just not have any presence at all because what happens is even if look even if i know that i'm thinking about you and praying for you you don't know that unless i somehow communicate mm -hmm. it and mm -hmm. so i think that calvary chapel you know or calvary global network has done a, a great job in leading through this crisis there's been a lot of communication and a lot of availability praise the lord yeah, I think that's uh, something we need to do on the macro and the micro level, you know, as, as a church. So, praise the Lord. That's good. Uh, if, the, if you were to give, like, from CGN, uh, uh, like, a message of hope to people in the network, like, what would that be? Yeah. Well, the message of hope would be simply this. The church is strong. The church is, is bigger than this problem. 
we're going to make, we're going to make it through this, but how we lead through this matters. And so this is the time for us to lead, you know, as the people of God with the word of God, we are more equipped than basically anyone else in the world to deal with hardship and difficulty spiritually, right? We have the, the message of hope and faith beyond this life. And we, we already know that the point of this life is not our personal fulfillment. It's not to avoid getting sick. Right? We are here on a mission from God. And how can we use this unique cultural moment for the gospel? I mean, the one thing I would say beyond everything else is uh, what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, where he said, Brothers, I want you to know that all these things have served the furtherance of the gospel. Again, now let's remember where he wrote that from. He wrote that from home, uh, which like us, right? Locked in his house yeah. or locked in a house in Rome, not able to go out and do the activities that he had been doing for years as a missionary, um, you know, interacting with people physically. And so what does he do? Well, he's writing letters. He's evangelizing to those in his immediate circle. And he says, you need to know this. Everything has happened to me. Because, you know, here, here these Philippians were, and you can imagine their attitude about what was happening towards Paul was, this is a tragedy. You know, where is God? How could God allow something like this to happen, uh, you know, with this amazing servant? And Paul says, hey, hey, no, no, no. Everything that's happened to me has served the furtherance of the gospel. So mm -hmm. my message of hope would be this. We're going to get through this. How we get through it matters. And let's have those eyes of faith that say, Look, God hasn't promised us success, but he has promised us himself, and he will use this for the furtherance of the gospel. And let's mm -hmm. be looking for ways that that, that can happen. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. The last, uh, the last sermon I preached was actually on Acts 28 uh, yeah. a couple of weeks ago, but that was cool to see Paul in quarantine and being effective in ministry, you know? And yeah, uh, so that's what we're trying to do. Did you pick that passage or were you guys teaching through Acts? We were teaching through the, the preaching of the apostles in Acts. And mm -hmm. that was the last sermon of that series. So like, you know, uh, I got to, I actually got to preach the first sermon and the last sermon. So cool. I preached, you know, uh, from Acts 2 and Acts 28. So that's cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so about preaching actually uh you're uh, an expositional preacher right um yeah. so uh can you tell us what that is and why it's important and uh why you like it or whatever you know sure yeah so expository preaching begins with the idea that our purpose in preaching is to expose the meaning of the text and um, same with exegetical preaching, sometimes called right. So exegetical simply means we're, um, we're taking out, bringing out from the text, as opposed to putting something, imposing something upon the text. So it means that the way we start our, our, our message is our goal is to help people understand the scriptures and understand the meaning of scriptures. Our goal is not to help them understand uh, our opinions, or our thoughts on things, or, you know, we're not using the scriptures as a springboard to talk about something else. Rather, we believe that people need to hear the message of scripture itself. And that's our goal. So uh, what that means, one of the, 
It, now, so Calvary Chapel has a long history of doing this. Um, and in a way, some people would say, you know, Calvary Chapel is all about teaching verse by verse through the Bible. Now, now I would agree with that, but I would say that at the heart of Calvary Chapel is something more than that. And that at the heart of what Calvary Chapel is at its best is expository preaching and exegetical preaching. If you look at what Chuck Smith did, uh, that, you know, he's, for those who don't know, kind of the founder of Calvary Chapel. And what he did is that he would preach, you know, he would go through big chunks of the Bible on Sunday night, but on Sunday morning, he would take a couple verses and he would do expository preaching, which means he wasn't just, you know, going through verse by verse through the Bible on Sunday mornings. What he was doing was uh, a 25, 30 minute, maybe 40 minute max message in which he would take a few verses and exposit them. Now, uh, again, the idea of expository preaching starts from the word expose. And I would just say this, it's possible to teach verse by verse through the Bible and still use the Bible as a springboard to talk about anything you want and have just disconnected ideas. Oh, yeah. One of the things that, that really shaped my understanding of expository preaching was a book I read about. Um, it was a biography of Martin Lloyd-Jones. And there was this whole thing in there where Martin Lloyd-Jones went off on this topic of what is expository preaching. And he said, again, basically the same thing, that in any text of the Bible, there is a main idea. There is a thrust. There's a doctrine that's being taught or an argument that's being made. And our goal is to expose that argument, expose the case that's being made or the doctrine that's being taught. And the way you do that is by not just staying on those verses, but then going over to other parts of the Bible and, uh, and using references either from culture or from whatever. But you're using things to build the case, not your own case, but the case that the text itself is building. Mm -hmm. So the whole purpose is to bring that text to bear on the listener in the most effective way possible so they get the message that the, the text is trying to give them. Yeah, that the text already has. That, that's been one of the things right. that's been uh, kind of, not, not revolutionized, but sharpened, I guess, in my thinking by uh, being in seminary right now, is I'm starting to think of the Bible as not verses and chapters, because um, I already knew that the chapters were added, right? But but really changing my thinking so that I'm not thinking in chapters, but in paragraphs. You know, in uh, what do they call it when it, when it's the Gospels? In uh, uh, you know the, these sections of the uh, of the book that's that's not delineated by you know chapter one, chapter two, chapter three by whatever his name is that uh, that added sure. those to the Bible. Um, and then every paragraph has a main idea. And mm -hmm. I want that main idea, whenever I preach a, a passage, that has to be in the sermon. And if it's not, we're, we're doing a huge disservice. Even if we're going through every verse and saying, mm -hmm. okay, this is what this word means. This is what this word means. You know, if you're, if you're missing the, the forest for the trees, like, what are we doing? You know, yeah, so there, there's my soapbox. <laughs> no, that's, I think you're absolutely right. And that's been kind of my, my soapbox too for a while and uh, but in a good way you know so yeah. um i'm involved with a group called the expositors collective and we have a we have a podcast and we do these training weekends and part that i usually teach is the part on um outlining and the reason i love outlining it almost sounds like not you know the least glamorous of all the topics but i think it's actually one of the best because again it's that idea if you don't give people the big idea 
if you're not taking them on the journey that the text itself is taking them on, then you, you're not really helping them. Mm -hmm. uh, you might be giving them some good ideas and those good ideas might be true, but they're not really helping them to understand the message that the scripture demands that they understand and respond to. Yeah. And also I want to, I so, want to give it another side. There is, uh, you know, I'm not saying that there's never a time to do that as well, to, to go through every word or every verse or every, like I listened to Chuck's Sunday evening messages, all of them through Bible college. You know, that was one of our required mm -hmm. courses actually. And it was, it was a blessing and uh, he didn't always do that, but sometimes he did. And uh, I was talking to a professor in seminary who, who not in this seminary, but a different seminary. Um, uh, and he was actually a Calvary pastor, I think for 40 years or something like that before mm -hmm. he retired. Um, and then also he was a home fellowship leader under Chuck. Uh, so he was, you know, from Costa Mesa. Uh, so, you know, long time in our, in our movement. Um, and he said, you know, this, the going, um, word by word, commenting, jumping off springboarding, coming back, going a couple more words, commenting, you know, it's, that's not exegetical preaching. That's not expository preaching that's called there's that's called something else it's called a running okay. homily yeah so that that's not even you know the thing that we talk about as a movement to this exegetical preaching it's not even that's not even called that you know like yeah. by whatever by well and and to be clear you can teach a, an expository and exegetical message on you know by doing that by taking a sentence and breaking it down and going through just a few verses in order or you can also do it um, by looking at multiple chapters at a time. It gets back to that idea of what you were saying. It's about exposing the big idea that the text wants us to see. So it's like, for example, this coming Sunday, I'm going to be teaching through First Kings. But in order for people to really get the forest and not get, not get lost in the trees, as you were saying, is I'm actually going to teach chapters one and two. It's a total of, I think over 80 verses oh goodness wow and i'm not going to be able to first of all read every verse nor expound on every verse though i probably could have ideas you know i could go off on things about this person or that person but it would take us a really long time and in my opinion it would detract from helping people see that these two chapters of first kings have a main idea and that is there's rebellion mercy there's an offer of mercy given and the people reject the offer of mercy and right there there's a really important tie-in to the gospel and to jesus the ultimate king whom these you know israelite human kings had uh foreshadowed both in their their successes and their failures mm -hmm. so anyways. that's good another question one of the things that uh, i've been working on as a as an expository preacher right now is you know how like you have two kind of wells of information that you can draw from. Obviously everything should be foundational, like foundationally built upon the word, you know, the word of God. That is what we are preaching. But on the other hand, uh, we are preaching to someone. And if you're having a conversation with someone and you don't know anything about them, you're not going to have a very good conversation, you know? Yeah. So, um, like right now we have a situation that, for instance, the quarantine and COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2 or whatever you want to call it and, uh, and everything. Um, what if my assigned passage doesn't have anything to do with 
some guy being locked up in a room or some plague that happened in the Bible or something like that? How do you connect the audience to the text if you don't see uh, a direct connection to their present situation? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think at any moment when we're preaching, we have to balance this, right? So we have to balance constantly speaking to the culture because on the one hand, we don't want to be tone deaf. We, we are doing people a disservice if we're not helping them to interpret their situation and to think about it biblically. So we must do that. But on the other hand, we also, you know, I can't just be driven in my teaching by what's happening in the culture at any given moment, right? So like, I don't just watch the news or, or follow like TMZ, right? And find out what yeah. celebrities did what this week. So yeah, we're like, not exegeting the news. Yeah, exactly. So on the one hand, I think there's a place for just giving people text and, and giving people the meaning of the passage. And, and maybe this week's passage, you know, my passage this week is really about um, the mercy of God, our rebellion as Christians. Now, I think that applies globally to all people everywhere. But in my application of that, in my smaller points, I'm going to mention the situation that we're in. You know, a big thing where we're at, and, uh, and I assume this is true across the world, is that a huge number of people have, have been out of work. Um, and so that, that's something, even more than the threat of illness that is weighing on people where we're at, is, you know, what's going to happen to my business? What's going to happen to my job? What's going to happen to um, all of these things? And so I think that uh, we must address the hopes and fears of people. And if the, the fears of people are directly related to the current situation, then we need to talk about how what we're saying here applies to that. But I would say, don't feel like you have to, you know, really rack your brain and, and jump through hoops. What people need and what they need from you is not always a, um, a hot take on what's happening. What they need from you is they need just a consistent teaching of the scriptures. And guess what? Those things are going to apply in their lives, you know? Mm -hmm. So for example, my, my whole thing on rebellion. Well, you know, the rebellion of Adonijah against Solomon, uh, there in First Kings chapter 1, it happened within a particular context. It happened within a particular crisis, right? Um, he could have done that at any other time, and yet he chose to do it, or at least he was tempted to do it at this particular time when, um, when David is getting older and, and dying. And so, look, in our situations, there are going to be different areas where we are tempted uh -huh. in the midst of this mm -hmm. to rebel against God. And what maybe some, what are some of those? So I would say, uh, don't feel like you have to, you know, really rack your brain to find a text that speaks to our situation. Teach the Bible. Um, and, and you know what? Like, like with the thing about faith, um, there are going to be natural tie-ins. People are living this out. And the good news is that we're all living this out together. So you can think about the things that are, you know, weighing heavily on you, the things that are, uh, that have got you, you know, maybe a little bit afraid or anxious. And uh, I'm sure that you're probably not the only one. So that'd be what I said. Give people the word of God, but don't be tone deaf. That makes sense.
that makes sense and i think the holy spirit you know will give like if we're, if we're paying attention to him he will give the right application you yeah. know it's the, the word of god is living and active and it will we need to feed the sheep with the word not with uh yeah. not with sound bites and and news yeah. stories and stuff like that so amen man amen but but on the other hand like i said i have seen people who you know they'll be they'll be in the midst of a tornado and they won't mention the tornado i mean you should probably mention it if, if it's the elephant in the room it's what everybody's thinking about so anyway you got to balance those two have you ever changed the passage that you were going to preach on in a, on a particular sunday because of a situation that happened does that make sense yeah it yeah one time that i can think of really clearly i'm sure there's been more than one but i remember this one like it was yesterday even though it was now many years ago um, so I think it was 2013 on um, Christmas Eve or the week of Christmas. Um, I was teaching a sermon on joy because I was going through something for Advent and going through the meaning of the candles as my kind of topical text, right? So we got to the joy candle. And I think that on Friday of that week, that was when um, in Connecticut, this guy went into a kindergarten and just shot like 30 children yeah and it just felt so inappropriate now i actually did teach on joy um because i taught that you know that this is truly the meaning of 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 christmas is that we can't have joy in the face of evil um but the, i chose a different passage and i chose to talk differently about it because i felt like i have to speak into this because people are wondering how could god let this happen and um and i need to address it so that that was one instance uh, where i did do that there was another instance where we had a big flood here in, in longmont a couple of years ago and uh, it was really devastating and some people died and things like that and so um i remember you know scrapping the passage i was going to teach on i was teaching through something and i said okay okay i need to talk about something else and um, I ended up teaching about the topic of exile and what it means to live in this world as um, exiles. So I think there's definitely times for, for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Is, uh, do you have any tips for like pastors right now that are, are, um, preaching to empty halls have you guys found anything that makes it easier to to like i don't know do sunday better does that make sense mm -hmm. particularly as a preacher well, yeah so one one thing that we have been doing is that we have been uh pre-recording our services and originally mm -hmm. we started doing this out of um out of necessity because mike and i were quarantined now my quarantine ended so i was actually able to come into the building and do recordings but mike was not because he had come from hungary which was at a stage four uh, i had come from ukraine which was like at a stage two or something so um mike had to stay home for two weeks and so he was able to do worship there at home and um so we started doing that and then we realized having done it the first week that actually maybe this was better than doing it live for us and the reason was because we were able to put worship lyrics on the on the on the screen when he's leading worship and our goal was of course to create a worshipful experience not necessarily a live experience 
Now I, I get it that there's something about having an event, knowing that it's taking place somewhere else and that we're all together in this. Um, but one of the things that we've done and we, we like it, and I've noticed actually more and more churches doing this um, because of the benefits of it is that, you know, sometimes churches will be doing their live stream and the internet cuts out or they will be doing it. And if something goes wrong with the orientation of their camera or maybe the audio is super bad. So by pre-recording, you can kind of make sure that those things don't happen. And then what we do now is we broadcast on Facebook and YouTube using the premiere features, which both of those services have. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And uh, so we put a, we put a 10 minute buffer on the front end of the video. Um, and so our, our premiere starts at 9.50 a.m. local time. And that way there's a 10 minute buffer. It lets people kind of join, uh, gives them a little time to join and be ready. And then at 10 o'clock um, it goes live. And then of course it's archived. So that's been our um, way of doing it. We've really enjoyed it. Um, some other things I would suggest, one of the things I'm, I'm using right now is I, and I can't take a picture of it because I'm using my phone to talk <laughs> to you, is that um, I'm using this kind of, I have a round light with a stand in it. It costs me, I don't know, $30 on, um, on Amazon. So I'm sure there are different places and different ways you can get similar products, but some kind of light uh, really helps. So that would be another tip I have. Be Get some lighting um, for yourself if you're going to be uh, doing a lot of broadcasting online. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, light is super important. I, I, uh, I've got my lamp right here and I'm shining yeah. right on my face. It's probably going to give me a headache in a couple minutes. But, you know, otherwise, sure. I mean, like. Right. That's how I look without it. So. Yeah, here's yeah. mine. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, for sure. But one of the things that uh, Brett Goodrich, um, the uh, I think it was second to last, yeah, second to last interview I had. He's in charge of the streams for Horizon Indie, uh, Bill Goodrich's church, um, mm -hmm. and uh, that's my sending church. Yeah. And uh, they, um, he said that the big thing that we all need to focus on right now is sound. That, this, that audio would be good. And uh, because people, you know, they, they leave quicker if the sound is bad than if the video is bad, basically. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, here we have, uh, you know, Mike Payne and uh, he's our worship pastor, but he's also, you know, he's an audiophile. He cares a lot about it. So he takes, that's part of the pre-recording process is that he takes our audio he runs it through some filters, makes it sound good, gets all the levels at the right area. Um, now I realize that's not for everybody, right? Some churches uh, don't have the capacity to do all that. If you do, I think it's a good idea. I think he's right. Uh, audio matters a lot. And um, yeah, the other, other tips I would give are um, don't be afraid to look into the camera. Uh, it feels weird, but it's really powerful on the other end. It gets people's attention. Mm -hmm. um so those would be kind of my tips i feel i feel like more comfortable looking into a camera i think than i do looking into people's eyes on sunday morning uh in mm -hmm. the church so uh, i'm i'm pretty introverted actually so that was a struggle uh, a big struggle for me when i first started preaching was learning to be comfortable with looking into the people's eyes and one of the things that i would do as a kind of a trick to uh, loosen up 
uh, at the beginning was look at the spaces between people on the chairs, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah. So I don't know. Cameras are easier I've, for me than people. I've heard a lot of tips on that. One, one of the guys uh, who I know uh, with Expositors Collective, he was like saying that he always picks like three people in the room and, you know, a person on this side, that side, and this side, and he'll preach to them. And I say, well, I used to do that not on purpose. It just kind of did it naturally. And I noticed that those people start to get super creeped out by the end of the sermon, right? Yeah. Because they notice yeah. that there's like a couple hundred people here and I just keep talking to them. And uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I found actually I end, up, uh, I end up kind of looking over people's heads mm -hmm. um, so that I don't creep anybody out. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you're right. Having your focus towards people and and i think on camera you can get away with it really directly just looking straight into the camera mm -hmm. the other thing that really helped me um this is going to be turned into a plug for my book again uh, <laughs> anyway the 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 other thing that really helped me was learning to get away from manuscripts as far as mm. what my sermon notes were were about which i preach in ukrainian uh most uh, preachers here, if they're American missionaries, they preach through a translator. I, I, uh, I could never get, I was never satisfied with how a joke works through a translator. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like jokes are sure. so much timing and then the specific word that you use and stuff like that. So I was like, no, I want to, I want to preach myself, uh, like not through a translator. Um, but I couldn't like, I couldn't process what the next thing I was going to say was, uh, and think about what I was saying at the, at the time, uh, at the same time, if I had a, a bullet note list or, a, or if I just read a manuscript, it was all right here. So I had to come up with mm -hmm. a system of drawings, which let me see if I have yeah. my, uh, I have my sermon notebook with me show the camera what I'm talking about. Here's a page from one of my sermons. And like that's a conflict between two people and stuff. Uh, you know. And I, I turned it into a, a pretty detailed system of how to do this. And then I wrote a book about it. So if anybody's interested in that, you can check out the book. I read your book. It was good. Thank you, bro. I liked it. Yeah. Um, I, that, what you just showed me, I think I'm, I'm having a little bit of a anxiety problem right now. I'm just <laughs> thinking about it. That freaks yeah. me out. Man. <laughs> I can't do it. For me, my notes are like a safety net because what happens is I stand up in front of people and I draw a complete blank. And the other thing is I have too many thoughts going on in my head and I'm worried mm -hmm. that I'm going to lose a thought. So I'll like interrupt myself and then talk about that and then be like, oh yeah, well, let me finish that other thought. And it's just a huge mess. So for me, uh, I'm a, I wouldn't say I'm a manuscriptor as much as I am a detailed bullet point person. Um, I think that uh, for me, I agree with you, by the way, that you can get locked into your notes and it becomes very hard to listen to somebody. Plus they come across as insincere. Exactly. That doesn't mean they are exactly. insincere. Mm -hmm. It exactly. just means that the message comes out differently when it looks like I'm just reading it yeah. or if it looks like I'm truly preaching it. 
so yeah i think that's something that uh that i could still i still want to get better at is don't look at my notes here's what happens to me i look at my notes whether i need to or not and then i watch myself on video and i'm like why am i doing that sometimes i'm telling i'm saying something that's not even in my notes and i'll look at my notes just because it is such a safety blanket for me um or security blanket so um i think that that's good that you have a system i think uh I think I could never do that. Like that's how I, I don't know. I so anyway, everybody's got to know what works for them. I mean, that's sure. the whole point of notes uh, is that they, they help you remember what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. So when you were a pastor in Hungary, how, how did you handle, how did you tackle those? So in Hungary, I originally started out preaching with a translator um, in the first city I was in, which is called Debrecen. And then when I moved to Eger in the north, um, see Debrecen is a big university city and it's a big city and uh, second largest city in Hungary. So I, um, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of English speakers, everybody spoke English, more cosmopolitan, moved up to the north and uh, it wasn't like it was, you know, backwoods or anything, but it, it was just there fewer, we were one of like, there were like five foreigners in our town and they were all from uh, South and Central America. So it wasn't like there were other English speakers around. So it was kind of like, first of all, there wasn't a big point to teaching in English. Like there's nobody really you're speaking to in English. Um, and the other thing was that initially we didn't have a translator. So I was forced into speaking or teaching in Hungarian. Um, and God bless those people who stuck with me through it because they were really, you know, kind and patient uh, i'm sure that it was it was you know awful to hear somebody butchering your language that much but of course i got better and so as those people stuck with me um you know i got better and so what ha ended up happening is there was actually a period of time when we did have foreigners in our church and uh in hungary there's this weird connection with holland where a lot of Dutch people like to retire in Hungary or they'll huh. start businesses in Hungary. Yeah, I never would have thought of that. I know. It's funny, too, because I asked them, why? Why do you move to Hungary? And they said, well, they said, like, Hungary is really famous in Holland. And here's why. Because they live in a small, flat country with a really large population. And so they're like, for us, Hungary is a large country with a low population and especially only really only the part where we lived um is this mountains they don't have mountains in holland and i was like this is the weirdest thing i've ever heard because i came from colorado here's my view of hungary tiny large population and flat <laughs> and like and yeah but i guess if you're from holland then you see hungary differently so yeah, it's anyway, we had all these Dutch people. Yeah, we had all these Dutch people, and of course, they spoke English. So um, we did go back to teaching with a translator eventually, but I always taught midweeks in Hungarian, and I taught the second church, the church in the town of Hevesh, always in Hungarian. And there, by the way, because I was teaching a different population, like a different demographic, right? So they were mostly uneducated, mostly day laborers. Um, etc and uh i i would teach without notes there so and the reason was because there that you know eye contact the physical presence was so much more meaningful to them than anything else 
Mm. So, um, so yeah, I think it also matters your audience. Again, in, in Aguiar is teaching what you might consider middle-class uh, educated people. Um, you know, everybody had a university degree and, and so for them, it was more, more of a, more of a linear type of teaching um, that was what they were used to or desired and, and how they learned better. So that, mm-hmm. that was, that's kind of an aside, but um, no, I think that's an important yeah, aside was, though, because, because the culture of your particular city does affect the way people, uh, you know, receive information and people in Lviv, at least the, the churches that I preach in, um, if you're not am- animated, you're not sincere. And, you know, you, mm. you'd think that the Baptists here would be a little less charismatic in their preaching, but no, they, they want you to be like walking around, moving your hands, raising and lowering wow. your voice, you know, like, and if you're not doing that, really, they, they don't think you're, you're being genuine with them. So yeah, that's Lviv. Well, like here in Colorado, um, you know, Tim Keller put it this way. He said that what comes across in the American South and in the heartland as passion on the coast comes across as dangerous, like, you know, uh, rhetoric or like, you know, religious fanaticism. And uh, Colorado definitely is, I think it's most similar to uh, the Pacific Northwest culturally, which, which is very subdued. Like literally, uh, there, I have this friend here in town, right? And he, uh, you know, he's from a different part of the country and he yells a lot. And he said he, he doesn't get people in Colorado. He hasn't lived here that long. And he's like, I don't get people here. I'm always wondering, like, are you guys enjoying this? <laughs> like he said in worship, they just like stand there. And, uh, and I was like, bro, this is Colorado. We, we don't do anything like like we're subdued we're chill and the other thing is we do not like people yelling at us so and i'm sure look i'm sure there's some people in colorado who like being yelled at but i think in general like i know there are some preachers who a lot of people really like but for me i just like find them grating because i i can't handle it i can't handle you raising your voice and so here in colorado we're definitely not that like what you described we're definitely more like what people want is something a little bit more, more cerebral, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And they, they, uh, they want you to talk to them without really raising your voice, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and just level with them in a chill way. Uh, Hungary was kind of the same. Whereas like, they are super subdued and uh, you know, they don't want anybody getting too excited. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. anyway, um, but that's, yeah, great point. Um, so this last time I was in Hungary, just in March, right before I came to Ukraine for a conference there, um, I preached in a church. Um, usually I preach at the big Calvary Chapel in Budapest, which is a bilingual church um, because it's a cosmopolitan city. But um, then I preached at a different church in the southern part of Budapest, which is, which is a little bit you know, lower income, a working class area. And, um, and there I preached in Hungarian, and, and I love preaching in Hungarian. I would say you know, if you can, if you're a missionary, I mean, I, I think it's good to preach in the local language. It communicates all of the right things, you know? Um, now I understand if that's such a struggle for you that you can't do it, or if you have an international population. So I'm not saying that to be judgmental of anybody, but I would say if you can pursue it and if you, you know, if you need to get better, then 
you will get better, you know, if you do it. And that's one and of the reasons why I wanted to write the book because I, I made the system and, and I want to make it easier for people to start at least try, you know? Yeah. So that's great. And you know, actually I'm impressed with most of you guys in Ukraine from what I see, a lot of the missionaries there more than missionaries that I knew in other parts of the world. Um, you guys have really integrated a lot more into speaking in local languages. So. Yeah, but I also think uh, Ukrainian is a little bit easier than Hungarian. So. I wouldn't know. So yeah, People always ask me, how, is Hungarian really hard? I'm like, how would I know? I only speak Hungarian and English. I have nothing to compare it to. So, I get yeah. you. I get you. So how, coming to a close with our time, I hope I haven't held you too long. Uh, how can we pray for you, man? Well, pray for our church in this situation that we're in. Um, pray for us that God would just help us meet these, these financial needs. Pray for us that we would be able to fill this building up soon because we really, really want to. And we think that we're just like, you know, on the cusp of something really great here. So pray for our church. Uh, pray for our mission here in the city. Pray for us that we would lead well during this crisis and that we would, um, truly also be light and salt to our community during this time that we wouldn't just be hiding um, from the virus but that we would serve as a light and a, and salt and yet you know honor the requirements and things like that mm -hmm. um you can pray for our family i know my wife you know right now around the world a lot of people are homeschooling out of necessity um and so with our my wife has three kids at home of course i'm there too but i'm i'm busier than ever i find um but she's trying to school the kids and that's really hard with uh we have a little one who's not even in preschool and then we have two bigger ones and so they all so she finds herself just wiped out at the end of the day so yeah you can pray for those things and we'd really appreciate that yeah yeah i was homeschooled but i don't think my homeschooling was anything ever like this you know okay so uh like one of the things that somebody uh, it was my first interview with chris lou uh, he said there's a difference between working at home and working in crisis there's a difference i think also mm -hmm. between homeschooling and schooling at home during a crisis you know there's a difference in emotions yeah. there's a difference in the pressure there's a difference in like you can't just go to the park like when you're done with your uh subjects at the end of the day you know like it is not the same. So do your, do your kids normally go to, uh, go to a school or are they homeschooled as well? Yeah, they go to public school. Mm -hmm. And um, we did that. You know, I think that we did that purposefully. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I would say whatever you do, you know, do it purposefully. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they go to school. Um, and so, yeah, we're definitely getting a greater appreciation for what uh, homeschooling parents do. But I fully agree with you that uh, there is a different level of pressure and anxiety in our current situation that mm -hmm. makes it different. So. All righty. Well, can I pray with you and then we'll let you go? Cool. Yeah. Lord God, thank you so much for Nick and for his ministry, for his family, for the church there in Longmont. Um, I pray for, pray for the church, Lord, that you would bless these uh, home fellowships, the, the ones that will continue to be online, the, the ones that will eventually go back to or are meeting in homes now. I pray that you would uh, bless those little communities and, and raise people up uh, continually. I pray for the financial needs of the church, God, that you would provide. We know that you uh, are faithful. 
Uh, and regardless of what happens, you will continue to be faithful. But I, I do pray that uh, these these things will be taken care of financially, that the building would be full once once that's allowed, and uh, that you would give them uh, wisdom as to like how many services to have and all that kind of stuff. I pray for their mission in the city, and I, I thank you for how you've already uh, been effective through them uh, in in that area. But I pray that you would expand even the opportunities. Uh, especially when uh, when the restrictions are lifted. Please help them to lead well in crisis. That's a really good word, Lord. I, I pray that you would help us all uh, in the Calvary Chapel movement to to lead well, To as my uh, faculty dean says in, in seminary, to lead ourselves well first, uh, and then to lead others as well. Um, and help them to, to serve as this light in the community, Lord. Uh, Give them hope to pass on to others. I pray for the Katie's um, that you would bless uh, Mrs. Katie there at home with the kids and uh, with her having maybe this new experience with homeschooling and, and everything. Um, that would be exhausting, Lord. Uh, and so I pray that you would uh, uh, be that peace, be that joy, be the strength that they need every day. Uh, and Lord, bless bless their whole family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Thank you so much for having the time for me. And uh, yeah, hope to talk to you again soon, man. Awesome. Yeah. God bless. See you.